Welcome to the Ministry Marks Podcast. I'm David Haynes, and I'm joined by Thomas Majors. Thomas, today's topic is concerning speeches in the book of Acts. And we're each going to talk about three speeches that we would love to have witnessed from the book of Acts. So if you will, give us some background information concerning speeches in the book of Acts. Of course, we know the Bible has different genres to it. The book of Acts is in the genre of history. And I would go even further than that because what Luke is actually, I believe Luke is the writer of Acts. And what I believe Luke is doing in this book is he is connecting, he is writing in a very similar way that some of the Old Testament prophets wrote as well. So the Old Testament prophets, it's easy to see, it's very evident to see that they were writing about God working in history. That's God did this and God did that. And when you come to the book of Acts, you see that Luke is doing something very similar as well, that God is doing something. Now, the long title of the book of Acts, we call it Acts, but the long title is the Acts of the Apostles, because that's, that's just what it was named, the Acts of the Apostles, but maybe a better name for it should be the speeches or speeches instead of Acts, because Almost 37%, approximately 37% of the book of Acts, the verses in Acts, are part of either major or minor speeches from either a primary or secondary person. So, so you have speeches by people like Peter, Paul, Stephen, and even people who are non-believers are giving some speeches as well. So the book has a lot of different speeches in it. So we're going to be talking about three speeches, right? That is correct. So if you could attend any speech in the book of Acts, what speech would you attend? Okay. And so as I was preparing for this and thinking about it, I my first one is going to be... Uh, Almost a conversation. A conver Will you allow me to sneak a conversation in here? Is that yeah, going to be okay? I, I would consider That's that. a speech. Yeah. I'm just making sure that we're on the same page there. All right. So as I was reading through and looking at it, the first speech I would like to attend is in Acts chapter 9. It's verses 10 through 18 is really what I'm looking at. Uh, in verses 10 through 18, the Lord Jesus spoke to Ananias and told Ananias, hey, there is a guy that is a, in a circumstance certain location. His name is Saul, and you're to go to him, and you are to tell him the way. He's going to be showing him the way. And oh, I would have loved to have been there for that part of the speech because and Jesus tells Ananias about Saul, and Ananias knows Saul, or at least he knows of him. Saul is infamous in that time because he is a persecutor of the way. He is a persecutor of the Christian and of the churches. And he says, Jesus, you talking about that same Saul? And so there had to be a lot of emotion in what Jesus was sharing to Ananias as Ananias was receiving that message. And then as that as those verses unfold, Ananias goes and he speaks to Paul. 
He's like, Paul, man, there's going to be some things that you're going to face, and it was going to be very difficult. As he began to share with him about what his ministry was going to be, oh me, I would have loved to have been there for that speech. Have you ever responded very similarly to Ananias? Are you, are you sure it's him? Look, that's it. Absolutely. <laughs> you calling that guy to preach? Are you serious, God? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, I bet some people thought that about me when I was <laughs> called to ministry. Lord, are you serious yeah. about this? <laughs> this that guy's is scamming right. some people, I bet. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So that's my first speech. Jesus and Ananias Saul all combined there. All right. So my first speech. I'm going to the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 2. We may even would call it a sermon. It's, it's when, G, uh, not Jesus, it's when Peter, <laughs> it's when Peter preached and 3,000 people were added to the church. Of course, we know there's a lot of phenomena that go along with this. People began to see, they heard a great rushing wind. And they began to move to see what it was. And they saw tongues cloven with fire. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> I think it's the King, way the King James Version puts it, cloven yeah. with fire. And then they heard people speaking in another language. And what Peter begins to do, Peter begins to give an apologetic. He begins to say, listen, no, these people aren't drunk. They're, they haven't been drinking. It's only the, what does he say, the third hour of the yeah, day. It's, yeah. it's only nine o'clock in the morning. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's not time for them to be drinking. There's no way they're drunk yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's kind of the way he's given that idea. And so he, he begins to give this speech about Jesus, and he connects the Old Testament all the Old Testament passages to Jesus Christ in the New Testament. It's also, I said it was an apologetic, but it's also a polemic as well, because he talks about the Old Testament. He talks about David, Christ. He begins to connect that with Jesus. And then he's like, and the Jewish leaders are the ones who crucified him, are the ones who killed him. And so it's also this polemic against the Jewish leaders. But then close to the end, we know that he says that he has been declared Christ. Actually, he says, Lord, he has been declared Lord and Christ by God. Nuts. That's, that's powerful. And as I said, 3000 people were added to the church that day. Yeah. Some people say that was the birth of the church, the genesis of the church. I'd like to be there on that day. Yeah, I'd like to be there for a lot of different reasons, and uh -huh. we may discuss this at another time and uh -huh. talk about some of the issues surrounding this speech. Did everybody receive speaking in tongues? Did the women receive the gift of speaking in tongues as well? They were in the upper room that uh, we suppose, or I suppose they were in the upper room on that day because they were only in the upper room the day yeah. before when he was ascended to heaven. So who received the gift of tongues? What is the gift of tongues? Those are things that we can discuss at another time, but I would have liked to have been there on that day. What's your second one? My second one comes from Acts chapter 10, verses 24 through 43. 
And in that passage, what precedes this speech is Peter on the rooftop. He's on the rooftop, man. He's kind of just chilling out uh, as a day is is lingering. And uh, a sheet from heaven comes down filled with all types of beasts. And he and the Lord have a discussion. Rise, kill, and eat. Not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean. I'm not about to start now. Rise, kill, and eat. Rise, kill, and eat. And then he begins to get the idea, oh, okay, there's more to this going on. The knock on the door, someone is requesting Peter's presence. And toward the end of that passage in Acts chapter 10, you have Peter sharing with Cornelius and his family and talking about placing faith in Christ. But what I love about it is whenever Peter begins this speech with Cornelius, he even says, it is against the law for me to even be here. You know that a Jewish man should not be, what, under your roof. I shouldn't even be here now, but I am. And I'm sharing with you this message of Christ. So I, I love to think about that. And I would have loved to have been there as, as, as Jewish people first shared the gospel message with Gentiles. Man, that opened the door and we see a, a flood. I, I would say today that the church, the bride of Christ is primarily Gentile. And that's when it all began was back then through old Peter and the work of the Lord. So that's a speech I would love to be there for. Did Cornelius and his household receive the gift of the Holy Spirit at that time? Boy, that's a good question. I read that yesterday. I want to think that he received the gift of the Holy Spirit at that time, him and his whole household, and it was confirmation of all that God was doing. And one of the things that Luke does in the book is he connects and even Peter does in his sermon in Acts chapter 2. He connects all of the things that God was beginning to do and he was doing through the life of Jesus. And then the confirmation of yeah. all of that is the giving of the Holy Spirit yeah. on the day of Pentecost. And then we see these reaffirmations of what God is doing in the, in the redemptive plan, especially in an instance like this where where Cornelius and his household get saved and they receive the same Holy Spirit. That is correct. That the others received, that Jewish yeah. received. Yeah. And they were not circumcised. They, they were right. not eating uh, clean food, the, obeying right. those dietary laws. And actually Peter says so much, and that's an, in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem yeah. Oh, Council, yeah, Jerusalem Council. Yeah. he says, and I believe that we are saved just as much as they are saved. I Absolutely. Just, I just, because yep. he talks about them receiving the Holy Spirit. And so it, it's that, I just love that phrasing too. Yeah. And we are saved just as like yeah. they are saved. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, because yeah. he saw that they received the Holy Spirit. This is a subject for another time. Yeah. But the Holy Spirit, I believe should play a more prominent role in our lives mm -hmm. than he does. I think we de-emphasize the Holy Spirit's work in our life because we're afraid of being categorized mm -hmm. as charismatics yeah. or being grouped together with people from other denominations. And so, uh, but, but I believe we neglect Mm -hmm. the work of the Holy Spirit. 
But I thought that was interesting. I thought I'd throw that in. Yeah, so there man, absolutely. And you're right. The spirit <laughs> fell on them there. So that was my that was my second speech in the Book of Acts. I would have loved to have heard in person. What's your second speech? Mine would be Paul's evangelistic speech, his preaching at Pisidian of Antioch. It's in chapter 13, verses 16 through 41. The speech, as I've already said, is at Pisidian, Antioch. It's very similar to the ones that he delivered at Macedonia and also to Greece. Uh, most of his speeches contain three parts to them when you begin to look at it. It's, he begins with a survey of Israel's history. He then moves on to the, the uh, life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he comes to this point where he is applying it. He wants them to respond. To, he is appealing to uh, for them to respond to the message. And so at the end of the sermon, he gives this great, great sermon. And then at the very end of it is what I really like. Yeah. Because in verse 39, he says, And through him, talking about Jesus, And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you cannot be freed through the law of Moses. You can't get any clearer than that. That's it. I mean, he yeah. is very yeah. clear in what he is saying. What a strong statement. He's saying that there are gaps of non-coverage in the Old Testament law, yeah. but there are no gaps of non-coverage with Jesus. He says the law of Moses was insufficient, but Jesus is sufficient. That's right. Of course, we know that what eventually happens with this speech is that a lot of people want to hear him again. They come back the next Sabbath day and the Jewish people are jealous. The Jewish people are jealous because of the large crowd that Paul has and they run them out of town. And so for me, I would have liked to have been there on that day when he preached at Pisidian yeah. Antioch yeah. so that I could hear at least that last part when he said those words, and he says, you can be freed from all things, yeah. even the things that the law of Moses couldn't free you from. Yeah. Boy, that's good. All right, Thomas, my third speech in the book of Acts comes from Acts 16, verses 16 through 34. This passage in its context is about Paul and Silas being imprisoned. But there's something that I want to kind of highlight that maybe you've thought of, but then again, maybe you haven't. But I love this speech. Paul and Silas are in prison. In, in verses 25 and following, the Bible says that at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. Man, these dudes are, are, are super are spiritual, super <laughs> spiritual. So much better than me and you if we had been there in prison on that day. And so the prisoners are listening. Uh, you know, the Lord shakes the house, jailhouse rock and everything <laughs> opens up. You know the story. And then the jailer comes to him, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they instruct him to place faith in Christ. I would have loved to have been there as they told him, do yourself no harm and then believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. The reason why I want to be there for that speech is even though it's, there's not a lot written about the words they are saying, I would want to see all of the terror that's going on. Had they escaped, the jailer's life would be required of him. This is a man who thinks he's on his deathbed. What must I do to make my heart right with God? And they share with him the truth of the gospel 
But then what I love about it so much is in verse number 33, what it says. Then they spoke, uh, let, me, let me get in verse 33, and he took them the same hour. So this is the Philippian jailer. He took Paul and Silas the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. Yeah, okay. So now these guys have been beaten. These guys, their backs are bloodied. Most likely their their, their blood clots by now. Everything is clotted over, but it's nasty. So he takes them, and one commentary says that there's probably a bathing area, that he took them, and then he washed their stripes. So now this is a, a, a blood-filled pool or a blood-filled tub with blood clots where these guys have been beaten. He washed their stripes. And immediately, he and his family were baptized. I bet you, I bet you, they were baptized in the same water where they had just washed the stripes of Paul and Silas. That's how committed they were to Christ. We're going to follow the Lord even through this bloody water. So I would have loved to have been there to see if my theory is correct. What are your thoughts, Thomas? <laughs> well, I don't know if I really have any thoughts about the passage, okay? Because that got my mind going in a completely different direction. One of my favorite jokes with people when yeah. I baptize them here at the church yeah. is like, I ask who wants to be number one, you know, who wants to go last? I pick them out, you know, we order all that out. Yeah. And then I'll say, well, you better be glad you're the first one because everybody else is going to get in there. The Whoever's the last one <laughs> yeah. is getting into water where all of those other people <laughs> were and their face is getting put under the water. And you can always see it on their faces. They've never thought about it. Yeah. Your you know, mind is twisted. <laughs> yeah. so, so I'm like, what well, you know, you need to go through with it. God calls us to be obedient. And, yeah. uh, and so I like to pick on people. I always like to say to yeah. the small kids, too. I've only lost one person in the water. It's <laughs> probably st statistically, it's not going to happen yeah. again. So you're okay. Yeah. That's so funny. So they're baptized. I'd love to see the baptism of the Philippian jailer. All right, yeah, Thomas, what's your third event? Speech. My third event uh, or speech would be to, to be there when Paul addresses the council at the Areopagus. It's Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 31. The Areopagus was a large outcropping of rocks adjacent to the city of Athens. It was named the Areopagus because that means Ares rock. And according to Greek mythology, Ares is the god of war. Evidently, he had killed Poseidon's son. And so that place was where the trial was held. And so it became this place where uh, the Areopagus, where people would go and they would hear things. They would have trials. Uh, the Romans called it Mars Hill. So if you've ever heard of a church called Mars Hill, well, it's named after this here in this passage. And so, <clears throat> so Paul, of course, goes to Athens. He is going around the city. He sees all of the idols. His heart is broken. He begins to have conversations with people, some philosophers we're told that it is Epicurean and Stoic philosophers say they want to hear more. They take him to the Areopagus so that he can address the people. And he addresses the people. Sometimes people call it an apologetic, that he is giving a defense of the Christian faith. I'm not so sure about that. I think we can learn some things about apologetics from 
this speech at the Areopagus, but I believe it is really more of a polemic. It is a polemic against their false worship, against those idols. He is not necessarily making this common ground connection between their worship of false idols and the worship of the one true God. No, he is trying to convince them what you're doing is wrong and what I am doing is right. He is, he is attacking their beliefs, their belief system. And then he begins to tell them about the resurrection. And of course, some of them laugh at him and some of them want to hear more. So I would have liked to have been there that day. And the reason being is because I study rhetoric. And to be at Athens, at the Areopagus, where some of the great masters of rhetoric have spoken. And one of them, I would say one of the masters of rhetoric is Paul. And Paul being there at this place, Ares Rock, so that he can... He can uh, give his speech about Jesus Christ and the resurrection. Man, I, I would love to be there that day. Well, Thomas, this has been fun discussing this. We would like to invite our listeners to join in for another episode of the Ministry Marks podcast. 